Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Inger, today with my fabulous co-host. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. And this is our podcasting slash YouTube debut. <laughs> I can actually see you. This so, is so much better. I think for four years, we were telepathically just sending signals to each other. <laughs> so true. We couldn't see each other. And so, um, yeah, I think we did 250 episodes unedited, but never seen each other. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> I'm so excited that is to be impressive. Yeah. I'm excited to be on video today and yeah. see your smiling face. Yeah. So we just got back. Well, Chris literally just got back from Arizona, but um, <laughs> I got back about a week ago from our retreat in Phoenix, Arizona. And I had an awesome time at the retreat. And I thought it was really cool that Celeste had the idea at the end of the retreat to do a Q&A, like a panel for our coaches just kind of sat up in the front. And then the um, participants kind of gave us some questions and we all kind of answered. Um, so I thought they were great questions and I thought it would be a good opportunity to share with everyone um, some of these questions is that um, I love Q and A's. I just think whenever we can find out what our audience wants to hear, like yeah. why not? So uh, if you do have questions for us and you would like another Q and A, I love doing them and I would love to hear your feedback. Um, so you can just always shoot us a DM on Instagram. We're at Prep Life Podcast. And, um, you know, that's always really a good way to get what you guys want to hear out there. So um, first things first, I, I just wanted to have you share with the audience we were just talking about right before we got online, um, where the prep files are for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I um I haven't been counting how many weeks out I've been out from this show. Um, just I've been very busy, and uh, I don't know. People keep people keep telling me like, "Oh, you're so many weeks out from your show." I'm like, "Oh, really? That's great." Um, but it's been kind of nice just to be an athlete for a little bit and just focus on completing what is put in front of me to like with my cardio and my nutrition and just kind of like put my head down and go to work um, and try and turn my coaching brain off to just, you know, like not overanalyze and uh, just, just be the athlete, embrace the experience. Uh, and I've also tried to like, even though it's been tough, um, as far as like, you know, feeling a little bit more fatigued than you were before, or having to be a little bit more intentional with your food, uh, just remembering this moment and this stretch of prep and being excited that like, I've made it this far. Um, so yeah. So to answer your question, I I'm like three, four weeks out. Um, and my physique is definitely changing week to week and it's changing pretty quickly, which is fun and surprising. And, uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing for this, this stretch of prep is working on my mentality and kind of like we, what we've talked about before Amy of like being mindful and being present and being excited about like this step in the journey. Um, because as much as I could sit here and be like, Oh, I can't wait until it's improvement season. And I can, like 
eat a lot more food and train really heavy. And like, I, I'm an improvement season girl. I love improvement season, (laughs) but I also don't want to get to improvement season and then be like, Oh, I miss prep, like always missing something. Um, and really just learning to be present where you're at and yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of a weird roundabout way to answer your question, but I'm a couple weeks out. I'm just doing what I'm told. I'm getting excited. I have a new suit coming in. So it's going to be a fun year and a new, a new way to get back on, on stage. Uh, so it'll be fun. Yeah, you're trying on a new color, right? Yes. Yeah. Are you, are you allowed to say, or is it going to be a surprise? I'll be honest with you. I don't even know what color it's going to I told, uh, when I did my console, I was like, oh, I kind of like blue. I kind of like green. <laughs> and you guys know, like blue, green color can be like, it's a wide array of options. <laughs> so yes. I'm like, oh, just go with what you think it's going to, what's going to be pretty and what's going to look good with me. So I totally leaned on angel competition and their console team and was like, whatever you think. And Savannah yes. definitely was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We got it. But uh, yeah, she, I, I think the cut is going to be great. I've tried. So another trick is I got posing two posing suits and I got two different cut bottoms and two different cut tops because I was, it's been a while since I've gotten a suit made for me. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't know which one is going to look better. Um, So I got a triangle top. I got a molded cup top. I got a micro cup bottom and pro cut bottom just to see what they all Smart. look like. And so um, I tried them all on this morning. So I'm going to uh, do a parade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fashion show for us. Yeah. <laughs> you I go. like I wore it for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah, funny that you say that. Just I think that that's one thing that people overlook is just the whole like suit cut and size of the top. Um, I just also ordered the opposite of what I had previously. So I had in my posing suit, I had a pro cut with a large and this time I ordered a micro cut with a medium top because I saw how your medium top looked and I just felt like sometimes it's just too much fabric to, to have like full coverage. It doesn't give you like quite the doesn't do the girls justice. So, but yeah, the, um, the new suits for the posing, um, at angel competitions, they're only making them in the, uh, material that they use to make the actual competition suits this year, because what they were finding, like, for example, my old one had the unicorn, um, Mm -hmm. fabric, and that is a different, it fits differently that fabric um than an actual competition suit so what they were finding is like people weren't fitting properly into their bottoms like I had to have my bottoms remade several times because I I was wearing those unicorn pattern ones and they just don't fit the same as like a normal fabric that you use so if you already have a competition suit and it's one of those fun donuts or I don't know like the different they have really cool like fabric things but um if you're looking to find out with your posing suit, what works for you for competition, I think it's important to probably order a new suit this year just because of that factor. So, yeah, I liked, 
also that the like piping and everything was the same like I think mm -hmm. just from being a like previous art student like and like this is an aesthetic sport uh -huh. just having it as similar as possible I didn't get rhinestones <laughs> or anything on it but uh, my connectors are stone and it's also like good to try like a different fabric color like I pick two different fabric colors too just to kind of like try out um but yeah I'll keep you posted on on what wins <laughs> I don't know what I'm I don't know it's gonna be beautiful that's all I know yay I'm so excited all right well do you want to dive into some of these questions then yeah I thought these were really good questions okay so the first question that we got is when is the right time to get your hormones checked and is it necessary after menopause? So these are two separate questions, basically, in my mind. So do you want to take the first one? When should you get your hormones checked? Sure. So I always advise people minimum eight weeks post-show. If you're thinking about, like, checking in to see what's happening with your physique after you've done a dieting phase, um, that's probably the shortest I would wait or the longest I would wait. The short, I get what you're saying. So the minimum eight weeks or more is what you're saying. Any sooner than that, I think that you're not giving your body like enough time to adapt to like being in a little bit more of like having more calories, being a little bit more relaxed. Like a lot happens when you switch those things up. So that's why, I, yeah, anything sooner than eight weeks, I think is uh, a little bit short of a timeline. Um, and I actually like to have my, for my own blood work, I even get it. If I'm like deep into an improvement season, I'll get it checked like once or twice a year, just to kind of like see where my thyroid is, where my sex hormones, like making sure all of that is optimal. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you are an assisted athlete, you may want to check your blood work more frequently. Um, I'm overly cautious. Like I just think that it's important to always make sure that you're checking in with your body and making sure that things are <laughs> running smoothly. Um, but yeah, I would say like minimum eight weeks. And then if you still see like issues post-show, like eight weeks out, you know, work with a physician to correct whatever you're seeing an issue with and then retest again and maybe another eight, 10 weeks. And there's affordable ways to do that as well. Like Amy and Eve mentioned ordering uh, labs from life extension. You can get a female blood panel for like 75 bucks. So um, yeah, I do think that is a big component of this sport. If you're going to be extreme, you should take, you should do other things in extremes. Like Make sure you're doing your recovery or checking your labs, like do take care of your body. Um, so that's, that would kind of be my advice directed on the hormone testing. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's important, like you mentioned in the improvement season, getting a baseline of what your body is normally when yeah. it's not under the stress of prep. Um, because if you probably tested 90% of competitors during like peak week and at a show, they're their thyroid, for example, is probably suboptimal at that right. point just because it's suppressed. And um, 
Yeah, I just think with, you know, especially if somebody is taking PEDs, they need to make sure that, you know, things are getting monitored by a doctor. Um, and even just um, if you're not assisted, having a doctor interpret these is the best way to go. And, um, you know, a lot of times they don't cover it with insurance, but there are some things that can get covered by insurance, like a metabolic panel, because just for the average person, you need to know what your lipids are. So like, is your cholesterol in a healthy place? Is your fasting blood sugar in a good spot? Um, are your liver enzymes um, well? And usually a physical or some sort of like yearly exam can usually cover that with insurance, which is really nice to not have to pay out of pocket. But because of the coding with insurance, it's hard to get um, unless you have symptoms where you go to like your OBGYN and say, you know, I'm having irregular periods. Um, you know, sometimes they'll test your hormones, sometimes they won't. But Life Extension does do a good job of if you do have questions and you have to pay out of pocket, your physician won't do that for you. Then they will have somebody that will get on the line with you to interpret those. So we had an interesting question from one of our um, master's competitors at the retreat after we kind of talked about that, um, she had mentioned, you know, if having your period is a vital sign for women, what about like people that are in menopause in terms of what should we be looking for? Again, this is something that you want to be under the guidance of a doctor at all times with anything that comes to your health. Um, we are not doctors, but, uh, <laughs> it's my, my typical disclaimer, but with menopausal women, you do make low levels of progesterone, low levels of estrogen. They come from your adrenal glands because your ovaries are no longer working to produce those. Typically, testosterone is still produced um, no matter what, even when the ovaries um, start to age. But it just, it depends. So if you have a lot of body fat, body fat creates estrogen, um, so it can make you estrogen dominant. And then with menopause and the onset, progesterone can go really low. So for bone health, for um, preventing any kind of type of cancers, sometimes your OBGYN will put you on a prescription for progesterone, usually is the first one. I mean, sometimes they'll even put you on estrogen. It's just up to what your doctor recommends. Um but yeah, there's there's other blood tests too that you can test if you're in menopause by testing your FSH. So your um, fo follicle-stimulating hormone basically rises. And so once it's past like 25 and your estrogen's closer to zero, that's probably a good sign that you're entering menopause or perimenopause. And the higher that FSH number is, it's kind of like your barometer. But keep in mind, if you are a competitor... Um, that FSH could be showing you're in menopause, even when you're not, because it's your brain signal to your ovaries. Hey, we got to produce more estrogen. That's the signal. So it's going to be super high if your estrogen is really low and your estrogen could be really low, not because you're in menopause, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So again, just go to a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like you said, even if you're in menopause, it's good to get your numbers like checked. You'll have more, I think, unpredictable fluctuations. Mm -hmm. Um, so you have to take that into account as well, but yeah, like what you said, Amy, bottom line, like go use a doctor, do get checked. Cause those things do matter. Uh, 
just in like overall life and for your prep too. Yeah. And you probably, you know, most menopausal people, women, you, you want to function optimally, right? I mean, as a competitor, yeah. we're not just like the average person we're trying to go for optimal. So even if we land in a healthy range or a typical range for our, you know, age population, that doesn't necessarily mean it's actually optimal. So hormone replacement therapy can be a great thing uh, for women that are entering menopause with just help with progesterone and things like that. And you can get those prescriptions again from your OBGYN or your um, a hormone specialist would also be another one, another route that you can go. So, okay. Um, this question is going to go to you because I answered this at the retreat, so I'll go after so you kind of already know, but I'm curious as to what you say about this one. So she was, one of the attendees was asking, what does it mean when pros or high-level bikini competitors say that they're just turning on a switch when it comes to prep? So she was just having a hard time. She was a first-time competitor. And just to give context, and she was like, I don't know what that means to turn on the switch. Yeah. So I think it can be interpreted as, well, it can be misinterpreted that people think this, you turn on the switch and you just are automatically smooth sailing autopilot. Like you run into no hiccups. You're just like, now you're dieting, making progress and you step up on stage. Um, I think that there is a mental shift when you are in an improvement season and then you go into a dieting phase because, and it can be a gradual shift, like, you know, little things at a time. Cause we're, you know, we're taking a, a block of time to get you ready for a show. So it could be a gradual shift and like, okay, now I need to be a little bit more intentional with like tracking nutrition or, you know, making sure that I'm getting my steps in every day. Or it can be something where it's just like a hard and fast, like, okay, I'm done with my improvement season. I feel fulfilled by that season. I am ready to diet. Let's go all in. And I think those two things are person dependent. Um, and also probably how long you've been in a, a, an improvement season or like an off season. So I know for me, I can speak for me personally. Um, I since I love improvement season, I do well with like a gradual, uh, shift. So like Amy and I did a mini cut last year and that was great because that gave me like a little bit of a taste of like, okay, I'm going to, I can commit to like eight, 12 weeks, whatever. And well, we did it in bite-sized pieces. Cause that was good for me mentally too. Like, okay, <laughs> I'll do four weeks. Oh, okay. I'll do four more. Um, just to be able to be, to like prove to myself, like I'm okay doing this, like a hundred percent again, like I can track everything. I can implement this cardio. I can, you know, I can do this dieting phase. And then it gave me some progress with my physique, which then made me feel like, oh, okay. Like I I'm liking this season. Now I feel comfortable here and also got me a little bit closer to my stage weight and my level of leanness. So then it, when it came time to diet, it was much easier for me to like flip the switch, I guess you could say, because it wasn't like I need to lose 40 pounds in 
you know, eight months and like, that's intimidating, but to be able to just have these like small, like bite-sized pieces of like intentionality, um, I think makes it a little bit smoother. So yes, I do think like when you are dieting for a show, there is a mentality switch. And the more that you've done this, the more you can kind of shift into that of like, okay, this is now, now we're in this season, but it's because you've done it multiple times. So it's more familiar and you can settle into it. Um, but it's no magic. Like now everything's easy. Um, it's still hard at any level, no matter how many shows you've done, it is still difficult, but it's, I think, adapting the mentality to the season you're in and learning to, um, strengthen. It's like a muscle, like strengthening your mentality through like each season of prep, both improvement and dieting season. They require different things, uh, from your brain. So, uh, hopefully that answers the question. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I have, you kind of stimulated a thought in my head. So as far as like, an on and off switch. Yeah. I would say I used to have that. So when I would go into a prep, it was like balls to the walls. Like I'm very competitive. I just like turned it on. Okay. Now I'm in prep. Like I function like a robot. And then I would literally turn off the switch and it was like, completely like the opposite of every single habit like other than working out like when it comes to food yeah I was like done and like I was eating all the foods and everything so I like to think of my switch now as a dimmer switch kind of cranks up and then it cranks down but I'm not so extreme anymore yeah so I mean that would be one thing but I am still competitive in the fact that like when I when I know like my coach like pulls the ripcord, I actually like, I'm, we've talked about this before in a previous podcast. I do like to, because I compete every year and I've been doing it for, you know, I don't know, 12 years or whatever. Um, I like to prolong my improvement season as long as I possibly can, because I know that at some point in that year, I'm going to compete. And so I just want to maximize my time of having like surplus calories and everything. So I just like a very short dieting phase. It's easier for me to like wrap my head around rather than, because for me, I want to go instantly into improvement season. So I know that does sound like I'm switching on and off, but, um, it's like a little bit more, um, it's a little less (laughs) like from what I used to be, I guess. Um, it's more dense. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, that's a good point about the, like flipping on the switch, but then what happens? Like, do you flip it right off? Like, how are you, how do you adjust? And that can be dangerous territory. If you're going into an improvement season, you're just like, okay, I'm done. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've done that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we all have. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the too. I think the the process of the sport. I think everybody's probably gone through that at one point or another. And you kind of like, it's like a rite of passage in some ways. Like yes. hopefully it's getting better with more information out there. Like that rebounding is, you know, a real thing and that reverse diets are important. But um, yeah, I think sometimes we, we all have, 
at some point or another within our seasons have experienced some sort of burnout or like too extreme, um, not enough gray. All right. What about your ideal client? What are the characteristics that you are looking for in a client? Wow. Okay. So, um, I appreciate a client that one is, well, I think you, you pretty much always get like a either competitive or driven, like people enter this sport for the most part because they have an athletic endeavor. They, they're just like a motivated individual. So I think that's definitely a part of this sport. And I think it just comes with the territory, but I think like great clients are ones that communicate well and they're patient. So I think the coach client relationship is like hands down, like one of the most important parts, I think of athletes being successful and athletes staying out of burnout athletes being healthy throughout the process. So I think the more that there's a comfortable environment where an athlete can share like how they're feeling, what's going on. Um, you know, I don't need to know all the details of your personal life because I think that there should be some boundaries between a coach client relationship, but I do find it very helpful to know if you are in a stressful period or, you know, you have, you don't have support at home or you're traveling a lot for work or like those details may not be like clear cut data of like what's happening with your physical body, but there are all factors that play a part into what's happening in your prep. So, um, I know that's a big thing that is stressed at glam girl, uh, about communication and being able to have open communication between a coach and a client. I also think it's important to realize, or maybe you don't realize at first, but you learn to work on the mental capacity or the mental strengths of knowing that this is a long-term sport. Um, clients, I mean, I was initially a client that was came to Amy and I was like, I have 12 weeks. This is the show I'm doing. Like, get me ready. <laughs> and like I could have used way more time than 12 weeks, but that's what my idea of competing was. And then my idea of competing was to then like, just stop, no meal plan, no nothing. Like, so I think the more that people can go through the process, put themselves in the uncomfortable positions of like dieting improvement season, what's what being social looks like in both aspects the more uncomfortable situations I think a client is, is in and they're willing to talk with their coach about them, the more we can develop the men, like the men, the long-term mentality and then get the most out of your physique as well. So that requires again, communication and patience knowing that like, no, you're not going to lose five pounds every week. Like you sometimes will lose no pounds. Um, and sometimes you will have a couple weeks of no pounds weight loss, but that doesn't mean you're not making progress and to look at different measuring tools to, to, to see where other aspects of progress are coming from. So, like I said, um, talk, 
talking to your coach is huge. I love when my athletes communicate with me, even if it's like, Hey, I had a really stressful morning. My check-in is coming in late, but I'm going to make sure it gets to you. Like just even something like that. Like I'm on the same page. I'm doing each stride with you. So the more that you can let me know what's going on or just, you know, keep me in the loop of how I can support. I think that has really helped with client progression. Um, and then the mental aspect, I'm always praising people for doing the self-assessment of like, wow, I really struggled. This is what was happening. This is what I think is the reason why, um, because all of those opportunities like compound and build the optimal athlete, like just winning your pro card and having an amazing physique does not mean that you will go far because the sport I think is way more mentality than it gets credit for. So, um, an athlete willing to work on that, I think is probably my, my optimal client. Yeah. Yeah. My number one, and I talked about this at the retreat is, is communication. I think that that is a really good, if you're a good communicator, then I'm going to be able to fill in the puzzle pieces a lot better and best serve you and help you. And, I think people that are empowered to, you know, be advocates for their bodies and Mm. because I only know what you tell me and you're the captain of your ship, you're the person living in your body. So if I don't know what's going on, I'm not going to be able to best fit that or, you know, solve, be a problem solver. Um, So yeah, communicating and then just, I feel like a grateful heart to, um, I just always appreciated it's just like was whenever I would read like your check-ins and everything it's just it was really encouraging to me as a coach like it is kind of like a thankless job and so when people are just have a grateful heart it just kind of warms you up and um so I mean coaches coaches like the encouragement too yeah (laughs) yeah it's true I think we invest a lot and and like Yes. Some coaches, I don't think have the same investment in their athletes, but I do know like with our coaches, like we care probably like I tell my clients, you're, you guys are like my kids. Like I don't have kids. (laughs) I care. I want to know what's happening. And like, I learned that from working with you. So that, that is something that I see continually happening within our company. And I think that you're not just a body, you're, you're an athlete and you're important and you deserve someone that's going to give you, um, that time and attention as well. Um, so yeah, hire, hire somebody that is going to make you feel like you're important. Yeah. We're not just data collectors. We, we care about you and, um, and your success and we're definitely invested. And I think that's another key point is just that, it's a mutual back and forth. Like I'm working, I want you to match how hard I'm working for you and vice versa. Like however hard you're working for this prep, like I'm going to put my all into it. And so I just need, you know, equal amount of, you know, effort I think is really important too. Yeah. Good point. Okay. So what are your goals in the IFBB? And then um, the other, this is kind of like a two-part question. So what are the options that an athlete has after they turn pro? So I 
think it'd be interesting for you to tell us what your goals are in the IFBB <laughs> to start. Uh, yeah. Okay. So my goals, my goals are ever changing. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. They're evolving. I think as I evolve as an athlete is what I, I think is a better, because I think everybody's going to turn pro and be like, okay, well now I want to win a pro show. And now I want to go to the Olympia. Like, I think that's a common like trend because you want to keep climbing the ladder. Um, and I don't think those are bad goals, but, um, I do think that especially as a new pro, um, it's good to remain humble because I think like when you, uh, you reach the top, the peak of the amateur league and you are now, you have that pro card, um, you feel like on top of the world basically. And that's great. Um, but it's the work is not done. And so I think like for me setting like smaller bite-sized goals is more, it keeps me encouraged and it keeps me going. Um, these like big, like a big stretch to be like, okay, I won my pro, pro card now, next year I will be Miss Olympia. Um, could be just like a little bit of a stretch. And then when you get up there with like higher level pros and you realize like, while the competition is like intense, it can be discouraging. So I think like a next step goal for me personally is I'm just like to get top 10 in, uh, one of my shows this year, like the more that I can advance my placement is progress to me. Um, I also really wanted to just bring, uh, a better physique. So it's the same thing in the amateur league. You want to bring a better version of what you brought last time you versus you. And I, think that that's a fair thing to carry into the IFBB especially like I'm a new pro so I just want to see like I want to see what my physique looks like um after the improvement season I want to see what it looks like standing next to like some Olympians like I kind of want to like get a measure of like where my where my physique is sitting um but as far as like placement top 10 would make me happy um yeah I mean, anything better than that would be like a wonderful surprise, but I think a realistic expectation is cracking the top 10 this year. Um, and then getting judge feedback, like same thing for amateurs, like get your feedback, find out what it is that you need to work on and improve um, so that you can continue just to refine the physique for each time you step on stage. So my goals are to not be a, a ball of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> and to be mindful and enjoy the moment to learn and then just see how I can improve my physique for next time. Remind me at Hurricane Pro, I know you got second call out and then you got moved in. Were you 13th? Is that your best placement as a pro? I think I got 11th. 11th? I oh, think... so you were just outside of the top 10. Yeah, I was close. Yeah. So I think there were like five call outs, right? Or something close to that. The thing I remember from her so big. pro was just watching Camille Peratt pose while I was on stage staring at her. That's the one thing that like shines in my memory of like trying to not be like 
starstruck while I was standing on stage watching her post. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think I got 11. I might have gone 13. I don't, it was very close. I remember to cracking the top 10. Um, I should remember that. Shame on me for <laughs> forgetting. I should too. Um, so. I was just thinking about it. So I was like, oh, I wonder how much like that would be moving up from. Okay. So the other half of this is what should the athlete do after turning pro? So yeah. I would suggest to you, if you win your pro card, go immediately up to Sandy and ask what you can do as a pro, even everybody needs feedback. And so yeah. when you won North Americans, she just said, you need to get in front of all of the pros and when you're this lean, basically, and just see how you stack up because you know, it was basically like the only time you're against other classes, high classes is in the overall. So right, you were, you know, against them and she just, you know, as a pro, there's no high classes. So definitely yeah. see how you stack up. Like you might as well just while you're on the train, just like go for one more. And then depending on your feedback, um, you know, if you need to grow or whatever, um, then kind of go from there. And then um, so some of the options that you can do. So I think specifically this person had asked, like, you know, do you do it to like make money? Um, she kind of had some questions like that, like, what are you supposed to do with the pro card? And I just wanted people to be aware that even the top pros, like a lot of times, like their prize money is just breaking even for covering like travel. Yeah. And yes, if they have sponsorships and things like that, it can pay for those things. But um, you're not going to become a millionaire off of being a bikini pro. <laughs> Most bikini pros have another full-time job and are hardworking at that. And, um, you know, for the majority of it, I mean, you do get, I think it was like 50,000 as Miss Bikini Olympia for winning first, right? I think so. It was somewhere Something like that. It was over 30,000. I remember that. So if you're the top in the world, that could be your salary um, for some people. But I mean, that's, you know, and maybe you can allude more to this, but, uh, and then the person that was also asking, she was 50. So I think like with them adding the Olympia um, masters this year. So they were doing their first one. They're accepting applications in April. Uh, I'll be curious to see what that lineup is, but it's 40 plus and it's in Romania. So I don't know how feasible that is to travel to Romania for most people. But uh, again, it's like one of those factors you have to think about if you don't win or if you do, like what's the prize money? Like traveling to Romania is pretty expensive. So, yeah, you know, and not every pro gets like their hair, their makeup, their tan covered um, through sponsorship. And then you have to pay for the hotel and the flights. Um, you know, most, you don't have to pay the entry fee for, but you do have to pay for what is it now for the pro card? Cause you have to renew your pro card card, yeah. physical card. I think it was two fifty or two seventy five a year. Okay. So it's similar to like doing an NPC card, but yeah, you have to have that card and you have to pay it every year, even if you're not competing. Otherwise, like Correct. once you let it lapse, then you're no longer a pro. You have to do it all over again. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. any other thoughts on like how to 
utilize this as like a career or like sure. I mean, anything to add that I missed? So I would agree. I think you hit the nail on the head. This is not, you don't become instantly famous and make tons of money. Uh, it, yeah, you still have to pay for a lot of things. Um, I, I think like for me personally, winning my pro card, I saw as an opportunity to influence people in a different way. I do think that unfortunately some people just see like pro card, uh, or IFBB pro. And they think that that athlete now knows everything about competing. They know everything about prep. They are like the master of their craft and that's who they should be learning from, which is not true. Um, so I think like you do get a sense of like certain respect from having that like IFBB after your name, whether it's like realistic or not or adequate or not. Um, but I did want to, I did want to make sure that like, if I was given an audience by being a pro, I wanted to make sure that I was providing positive content about what prep is about, like how to do things in a healthy manner about mentality, about motivation and um and most of that's done through my social media which again you don't get paid for but if you know if you're given that platform um to me it was very important to make sure that it was being used for something positive and not just like a platform to highlight my body or me as this like amazing person more or less to educate and give back to people and I get to do that through coaching. And I do think that like given a title, uh, you are also provided an opportunity in that capacity as well. And there's plenty of pros that win their pro card and they just, they, they don't want to be in the limelight. They just like to compete and they want to keep to themselves. And I think that that's admirable as well too. Um, but I, I do think that you can use a, that title for reaching other people and, in a positive way as well. Yeah, I think that's a great way to end this. And I think all of your thoughts and everything on these questions was wonderful. So I appreciate your time. I know things are getting close and oh, caffeinated. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we appreciate that. And I was just reading through some of the reviews. I do that from time to time. And um, oh. I, it's just really, it's so sweet. Thank you listeners that took the time to do a rating or review. I just really appreciate the love. Hopefully. Um, so I know like a lot of our negative feedback was the audio. Um, hopefully we're moving up in that aspect. So this year we'll have a little bit better quality and then you can see our faces as well on our YouTube yeah. channel. So check out our YouTube channel if you want to actually see us. <laughs> um, but otherwise, you can follow us on Instagram at Prof Life Podcast or at Glam Girl Bikini. You can apply for the team by going to glamgirlbikini.com and hitting the Get Started button. As we mentioned earlier in the episode, if you have any questions or topics that you want us to cover, uh, we'd love to hear them. And we always attempt to keep this podcast ad free. So in an effort to just help that one listener, please share um, 
you know, leave a rating or review. It really helps other people that are interested in similar topics find us. And if you found value, just please, all we ask is to pay it forward in that regard. So this is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Inger, signing off with my fabulous co-host. And this is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. Thanks for listening, everyone.